Beloved congregation of the Lord, would you turn with me again to the book of Jeremiah, the 31st chapter and the 7th verse, Jeremiah 31 and verse 7. For thus saith the Lord, sing with gladness for Jacob and shout among the chief of the nations, publish ye, praise ye, and say, O Lord, save thy people the remnant of Israel. Well, you may recall uh, this spring, I believe it was during our prayer day service, that I began this examination of Jeremiah 31, perhaps the most pivotal chapter in this book of comfort, which runs approximately from chapter 30 to Chapter 33, holding forth as it does the comfort and the joys of the new covenant. Jeremiah, despite being a prophet who prophesied of judgment on the southern kingdom, was also given the privilege of seeing beyond the coming uh, darkness of the days to come, to the glorious light of the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and his great work of salvation under the new covenant. And you might recall, as I laid down some of the principles in that early sermon for uh, verse 1, where we read, At the same time, saith the Lord, will I be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. You may recall that I laid down some principles for interpretation, as I understand it, derived from this chapter itself, for rightly understanding the Israel of which we speak. And drawing upon uh, various passages in the scriptures, particularly Romans 11, and citing our confessions in the Reformed Church and uh, many of the Reformed Fathers that came before us, I sought to vindicate the interpretation that the first uh, application of these things is a fulfillment in the nation of Israel, where it says all the families of Israel. I take that to be a technical designation of the entire nation. But there is a prominent theme throughout this chapter, if you read it carefully, that there is to be a great work done in the Jewish nation in the future, gathering them together into the new covenant church. And I further argued that where you have a reference to the physical Israel, the historical Israel, you also have a typological reference there to the Israel of the Spirit, to all of the elect of God of all times, and particularly under the new covenant, Jew and Gentile, all the chosen ones, also referenced here. And if you would consult this chapter carefully, you would certainly see that there are some verses that seem to lend themselves almost exclusively to that group of people. And so as we've been going through verse by verse, sometimes even multiple sermons per verse, that's been primarily how I've been applying it, looking at the new covenant church of the elect of God, also giving due uh, 
regard to those things in the first six verses that have spoken about the institution of specific church congregations, spoken of as vines that are planted, and as well uh, discussing the watchmen of those vines, even the gospel ministers. But here in verses 7 to 9, there seems to be a bit of a shift in focus, not an utter change from what has been said before, but there is uh, a new statement, surely, in verse 7. For thus saith the Lord. God would have us to know that this is his word for us to consider and hear as our sovereign and master. Sing with gladness for Jacob and shout among the chief of the nations, publish ye, praise ye, and say, O Lord, save thy people, the remnant of Israel. So having wrestled with this text and considered it, I thought that there was an interesting parallel with what we considered this morning and the judgment of the Jews that Jesus prophesied in that parable of the great wedding banquet. So also here, as I take it, is something that's held forth in a very precious way unto that very nation of the Jews. As I seek to vindicate that interpretation, let me just simply give you my title, and that is praying for the Jews, praying for the Jews. And with the Lord's help, I wish to show you that this praying for the Jews is Commanded, it is fitting, and it is powerful. Commanded, fitting, and powerful. So let me uh, bring you to our friend Dr. Gill's uh, good uh, reference of mine, certainly when I'm seeking to understand a text. And uh, as you look again at verse 7, I want you to hear what he has to say about it. For the restoration of Jacob, or the conversion of the Jews, which will be matter of joy to the Christians among the Gentiles, who seem to be here called upon to express their joy on that occasion as they will. For it will be to them as life from the dead. And we understand that Dr. Gill would concur with my interpretation of Romans 11, For he cites Romans 11, verse 15 in this connection, which reads, For for if the casting away of them, that is the Jews, if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? If indeed the judgment upon the Jews, their being severed from the church and covenant of God brought many blessings to the Gentile world, then the apostle here, together with the prophet, would concur that greater blessings and greater joys shall attend the Gentile church upon the inclusion and re-engrafting of the Jews into the church and covenant of God. Now, Perhaps this is not an interpretation you agree with, but let me seek to lay out some of the things that we have before us. First, you'll notice that two groups are clearly referred to in this verse. For what is addressed here is the chief of the nations, or the goyim, or the Gentiles, the greatest of the nations, or Gentiles, 
In fact, the word chief sometimes refers to the top of a mountain or the highest rank of society. And, and here the Hebrew word seems to designate the greatest of the Gentile nations are commanded here to uh, respond in this way as the Lord commanded, commands to sing, to publish, to praise, and ultimately, or what we could write over all of it, to pray, O Lord, save thy people the remnant of Israel. So where there is a reference to the Gentiles, there's also a reference to Israel. One group is told to pray for the other. And of course, the remnant is a great theme. The residue, the survivors. Isaiah speaks of them, except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant. We should have been as Sodom and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Isaiah 1 verse 9. The Apostle Paul speaks of them in Romans 11 verse 4. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And here it is the remnant of Israel. It is that which is appointed for life, that which is elected unto the blessings of salvation. There is prayer here for the Jews, as I would argue, by Gentiles for the spiritual good of these but perhaps you're still not persuaded. Let me also reference two other passages that are closely connected with this one. The first one is what we read in that song of Moses, which I explained to you, uh, contains within it the whole history of the Jewish people. Moses, as he sings there at the end of his sermons in the book of Deuteronomy, just before the conclusion of that book, he says in Deuteronomy 32, verse 43, Rejoice, O ye nations, goyim, Gentiles, with this people. Well, very clearly, the whole context is about Jews and Gentiles, the chosen nation of the Jews, those nations who are on the outside. But then it takes an interesting turn. Rejoice, O ye nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance to his adversaries and will be merciful unto his land and to his people. Yes, indeed. Whereas the thrust of that great song is judgment coming upon the Jews for their sins, the way it ends is that there will be mercy shown unto them. Vengeance upon the enemies of God, but mercy unto his people, the Jews. And so the Gentiles are exhorted to rejoice in this, to rejoice. And if you compare those two verses, and many commentators have said as much, there appears to be a direct connection as though Jeremiah is referencing specifically that context where the contrast of Jew and Gentile is very plain. But perhaps you're still not persuaded. Let me argue from the other text in uh, the Bible that unambiguously is referencing Moses. It's referencing this exact verse that I just quoted from the Song of Solomon. And it is spoken by the Apostle Paul in Romans 15. 
And there, Paul is glorying in the great grace and favor of God shown to the Gentiles of whom he was the apostle too. And he cites a number of passages that specifically speak of the calling and salvation of the Gentiles. And in Romans 15, verse 10, he quotes from the Song of Moses and says, Again, he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles. Rejoice, ye nations, with his people. And I don't need to remind you of that context that we, we read further on in that chapter of Romans 15, where he goes on to specifically give some applications from this to those Gentile Christians. And he references the fact that he is taking this collection of money to support the poor saints in Jerusalem. In that same chapter, Romans 15, verse 26 to 27 There we read, for it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia, so northern Greece and southern Greece, to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. And then verse 27, it hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made debtors of their spiritual things, their duty also is to minister unto them in carnal things. What is he saying? Well, the Jewish church of Jerusalem, they've given you the blessings of spiritual life in that they've sent forth all these missionaries, all of these, uh, all of these people to preach the gospel to you. So also you must minister them in carnal things in helping them now that they are poor and being persecuted. All I'm saying here is that the common thread in all this is that there is a difference in all these texts between Jew and Gentile. It's regarded as something that is proper to recognize in its place. While there is an equality in the gospel, it does not erase this natural distinction between different ethnicities. And so in their proper place, they are to be regarded And it brings great joy. Listen to what Matthew Henry says. The restoration of Jacob will be taken notice of by all the neighbors. It will be a matter of joy to them all. And they shall all join with Jacob in his joys. Thereby pay him respect and put a a reputation upon him. Even the chief of the nations that make the greatest figure shall think it an honor to them to congratulate the restoration of Jacob and shall do themselves the honor to send their ambassadors on that errand. It's actually something that is observed in in many places also of the New Testament that Jew and Gentile is still something that is recognized in its place. Romans 1, verse 16, Paul begins his great magnum opus, the book of Romans, with those words, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Romans 2, verse 9 and 11, Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first, and also of the Gentile, but honor and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile, for there is no respect of persons with God. Romans 3, verse 29. 
Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Well, I hope you get the point simply that the Bible sometimes speaks this way of Jewish and Gentile Christians in their natural, in their ethnic distinctiveness, but each one in harmony, seeking the spiritual good of one another in the gospel and kingdom of grace. And it is something that perhaps to modern ears we want to flatten and we want to spiritualize. For indeed, I don't need to explain to you sometimes, the Bible does spiritualize the concepts of Israel and Jew. Or it's not a Jew who is outward, but one who is inward. And Paul speaks of the Israel of God consisting of both Jew and Gentile. Obviously, sometimes it's spiritualized. But we also need to regard these cases where we're going to do violence to the text if they're not equally um, distinguished in their proper place. And I think this all goes to the great prophecy uh, that was given to Noah. Maybe you remember that. There in the history of Noah, you'll recall that after the Lord used him mightily to save the human race in the great ark and delivered revelation to him, he yet fell into sin, got drunk, and his nakedness was uncovered. And one of his sons uncovered his nakedness. And the other two, by the name of Shem and Japheth, they shielded their father and So the Lord uh, spoke through Noah on that occasion and spoke about how the whole human uh, history would unfold in such a way as to highlight that one episode. And what is it that he said in Genesis 9, verse 26? Blessed be the God, Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth. And he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. Out of Shem, you recall, comes the line of Abraham. Out of Shem comes the line of Christ. Out of him, from his loins, come the very Jewish people as well as others as well. But on the other hand, you have Japheth. Other nationalities come from him. The people from uh, Holland, for example, the people of uh, England and Scotland and so forth. And isn't it a striking thing? He says that he will enlarge Japheth and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem. He shall profit from the spiritual advantages of the God of Shem, as indeed the Gentile nations from, from that lineage are brought into the covenant of the God of Shem. There was a Reformed minister in the Reformed Presbyterian Church who wrote an article some years back entitled this, I am not ashamed to dwell in the tents of Shem. What was it he was saying? Well, Mm -hmm. he was saying that as Gentiles, sometimes we want to shave off those parts of our faith that have a Hebrew or Jewish character. And so people say, I don't want to sing the Psalms. Let us make way for new modern songs that that don't have all these references to the Old Testament. Sometimes 
There's not even a willingness to preach from the Old Testament, to see it as relevant today. But this Jewish, this Christian minister, this Reformed minister said, I'm not ashamed, not ashamed, though a Gentile, to dwell in those tents of Shem, for it is a Jewish Savior that saved me. It is a Jewish uh, Bible that I read, all the, all the prophets, all the apostles, with the exception of Luke, the sole author who was not of that lineage. And so the forms of speech and the history of it is shaped by that people. And so it is that we, as the wild olive shoots, engrafted into that, that good olive tree, are, as it were, brought into the tents of Shem. And so we look at this and, and we say that there is a proper distinction here. What is commanded here is that the Gentile Christians, the great ones indeed of the Gentiles, that they would pray for the remnant of Israel. Let me, believing perhaps I persuaded you of my interpretation, let me speak to you about why it's such a fitting thing that God would so do this. Well, we have but only to look into the evidence of the Bible itself, where after the fall of the Jews under the new covenant, after the great number of that people rejected Christ, rejected God, rejected the gospel, there was a great heartache among those who were true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not the least of them was the Apostle Paul himself, one who was formerly of that persuasion, one who used to be a persecutor of the Christians and that out of allegiance unto his nation and people. This very Paul speaks in Romans chapter 9, verse 1. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not my conscience, also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came and who is over all God blessed forever. Amen. Continues in the 10th chapter in the first verse. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Oh, we would say perhaps, well, we can understand why Paul would feel so vehemently about this. After all, they were his kinsmen according to the flesh. He had a, a natural connection a common ancestry, a common history, a common cultural background. And so for all these reasons, we might say that, that he ought to have a burden. It was proper for that. But isn't it a strange thing that you look out throughout church history and again and again you find Gentile Christians voicing the same sentiments? I was reading the letters of that great Puritan Samuel Rutherford, the Puritan theologian. At one point, he speaks with great intensity as he's just writing a letter to one of his uh, fellow Christians. And, and this is what he writes. I have been this time bypassed thinking much of the incoming of the church of the Jews. Pray for them. 
When they were in their Lord's house at their father's elbow, they were longing for the incoming of their little sister, the church of the Gentiles. Let us give them a meeting that were a glad day to see us and them both sit down to one table and Christ at the head of the table. Then would our Lord come shortly with his fair guard to hold his great court. What is he referring to? That there were days in which the Jewish church was longing for the salvation of the Gentile church? What is he talking about? Well, surely he's referring to the many books of the many writings of the Psalms, where in those days where our ancestors were in complete spiritual darkness, when indeed they were idolaters and alienated from the covenants of promise, you have Jewish believers writing psalms like Psalm 117, also quoted by the Apostle Paul in Romans 15, which we read, O praise the Lord, all ye nations, goyim, Gentiles. Praise him, all ye people, for his merciful kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. The Jewish church praising God and and calling upon the Gentiles to join in this praise. For the Lord is merciful. He's merciful to us. He may be merciful to you. And the burning heart for the lost in spiritual darkness. The Jewish church prayed likewise in Psalm 67, verses 3 and 4. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon the earth. Psalm 22, verse 27. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. And all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. A striking thing at a time when the nations were hostile to Israel, that hated Israel, that often persecuted Israel. Yet there was that longing among the pious followers of the Lord, among that people, that all the nations would be brought into the great covenant of God in the days of Messiah the Christ. And oh, was it not a sad thing Jesus said unto the Jewish people of his own day that Abraham looked ahead to my day and rejoiced. So so was it with all of the true uh, children of Abraham, of his descendants. And yet at the very hour when the fullness of that came in the person of Christ himself, the great number of them went away and turned their back on the Lord. Is there nothing in you that is stirred up by this? Is not our nation, our, our background as those who are Gentile Christians for the most of us, is not our position exactly that? We look upon a people that was once there at the Lord's table at his elbow, as Samuel Rutherford said, and now they are for the most part lost, for the most part unbelieving, for the most part headed to hell. And is there nothing in you that resonates with this? That the nations would shout, that they would sing, that they would praise, that they would publish O Lord, save thy people, the remnant of Israel. 
It was a striking thing. I, I went to a consistory meeting recently in one of our churches, and uh, at the, uh, the meeting before I went out to pray, I uh, went out to preach, rather. The elder there was, was praying for me and praying for the church and spontaneously began praying, O oh Lord, save your ancient people, Israel. Save the Jews. And I thought, how seldom do we do that? Where there's scriptural example, there's scriptural precepts, scriptural command. And indeed, the promise that, that will be as life from the dead upon the Gentile church when the Jews are brought in. And yet, for the most part, unlike our fathers, there is not much prayer for these things. But it is a fitting thing, Christian. It's a fitting thing that where the promises are there, where indeed the commands are there, we must respond appropriately. And isn't that really all of these different uh, examples that are given here? Singing, shouting, publishing, praising. When you are taking the very psalms of the Lord upon your lips, you are praying. And you're praying in sincerity. You're praying in joy. You're praying in mourning with all of your emotional capacities. They are worked up and they are sanctified by the Spirit. And they're directed to the glory of God. There's a special way in which these things fall upon us and a special way in which they are most fitting to be done. Let me bring us to our last point. It's powerful, powerful to so pray for the salvation of the Jews. Matthew Henry writes, When we are praising God for what he has done, we must call upon him for the future favors which his church is in need and expectation of. And in praying to him, we really praise him and give him glory. He takes it so. Is not the church in a sorry state, brothers and sisters? Is it not so that we are yearning for revival, for a fresh outpouring of the Lord's favor and blessings? Are we not yearning, O Lord, that you would work in our land, that you would work in our generation, that you would turn this world upside down as you did for our fathers? Indeed, if we would so yearn for that, ought we not to attend to precisely those promises that are connected with the Lord's working in the future of the church, those things which are not yet fulfilled? I would turn you again to Romans 11. It remains important. Romans 11 and verse 25. There the apostle writes, for I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. Well, what's that? There's a danger there that we'll be ignorant, that we will be wise in our own conceits, that we'll miss something important, that the blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in and so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written. There shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, 
They are beloved for the Father's sakes. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Now it's a striking thing. Reformed interpreters remain divided on this text. Some remaining of the position that the Israel that is spoken of there is the spiritual Israel, not the Israel that was spoken of in chapter 9, which we read, not the Israel we spoke of in chapter 10, where uh, Paul recognized that they were his kinsmen according to the flesh. No, now there is a change of subject, they argue. And so this is a spiritual Israel that is spoken of here, even of all the elect of God. But for myself, I look at verse 28, which we read. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. Can we say that of the elect of God? They are enemies for your sakes as concerning the gospel. Well, for myself, it seems much more fitting to refer this rather to the nation of the Jews, which for the great part in general are indeed hostile to Christ. I remember I was evangelizing a Jewish man in Grand Rapids when I was a student. He saw my open Bible and he stopped to talk. We began uh, talking about all sorts of things. We went through all these scripture passages. And, and he was someone who said, you know what, I'm an atheist. I don't really believe in God at all. But you know what, I'm violently opposed to what you're talking about here, that Jesus is the Messiah. And I'm passionately committed to my people, passionately committed to the nation state of Israel, but I have no use for your Jesus, and I flatly oppose all those who would seek to convert my people. So I spoke to him, and I pleaded with him, and I prayed with him, and I realized what the apostle was talking about. That blindness, that blindness, that judicial hardening that has come upon such a people. Enemies. For your sakes, as concerning the gospel. You know, Christians do have enemies. All those who oppose Christ are our enemies. All those who oppose the gospel are our enemies. There is an antithesis and an opposition between the seed of the devil and the seed of the woman. Between the elect of God and those who oppose us. And... Surely where the Bible specifically numbers the Jews as our enemies, we ought not to take it as a light thing, but with great soberness. That indeed, they are hardened against Christ. And so their history bears this out. But there I read as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. For the promise is given unto the Father, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for their sake, for the sake of God's honor and glory, he will not allow his promises to fall to the ground. Indeed, all Israel shall be saved, for the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. And so why is it that we pray for things? If God is going to do it, will he just do it? Do we not have to worry about it, perhaps? Well... You surely you know more than that. You know, don't you, that all the blessings that God gives his church are ones that we must pray for. Knock and the door shall be opened. Seek and you shall find. So it works with individual salvation, also with the blessings on the 
on the corporate people of God, where the people of God, where the church of the Gentiles does feel their yearning to pray once more for the salvation of their older brother, the Jews, then God will not despise that. He will bring in the fullness of the Gentiles, but also all Israel will be saved. And here we see it. For thus saith the Lord, sing with gladness for Jacob and shout among the chief of the nations, publish ye, praise ye, and say, O Lord, save thy people, the remnant of Israel. Is it not a great God who can turn enemies into friends? And not only friends, but the very family of God, spiritual brothers and sisters in the Lord. Let this be our heart's yearning. May this be our joy. May this be our song.